Hello and welcome to Eisner Amper's podcast series. We're always interested in the latest trends and developments, as well as any related business and accounting opportunities and challenges. I'm your host, Dave Plasco. Today, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We usually have on the thought leaders in accounting and business advisory, um, but today we're going to talk to one of the foremost accounting journalists out there. We're talking to Dan Hood, the editor-in-chief of Accounting Today. Dan, welcome and thanks for being here. Dave, thanks for having me. So, Dan, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what Accounting Today is up to. Sure. Well, I've been uh, with Accounting Today for, I was just counting as we prepared for this, I think it's about uh, 20, 24 years, started in the uh, mid to late 1990s there. I've been editor-in-chief uh, since 2012, and before that, I was managing editor. So I've been covering the accounting profession for a good long time before that. I worked for the Wall Street Journal European edition, and then before that for a, a company that did magazines for uh, international development bank meetings and emerging markets. Um, so I've been financial journalism of one kind or another for almost 30 years and, and covering accounting for about 20. Uh, in terms of what accounting today is up to right now, basically, we're just trying to keep up. There's just so much change going on in the profession, uh, you know, in the broader economy as a whole, obviously, but, but just in the accounting profession, it's tremendous. There's so much going on in so many different areas of accounting, which is great for us. It gives us plenty to cover lots of exciting things to write about, but it also means that we're sort of desperately scrambling at all times to make sure that we're covering everything we need to cover because there's so much going on. Sure. I mean, content is king. Yeah, no, there's there's no shortage of it. And that's the other thing we're trying to do is sort of at the same time as trying to keep up with all the things we need to cover uh, in terms of the profession. We're also covering all, you know, got to keep up with all the changes that are going on in publishing in our industry. So uh, moving away from print and, and a huge number of new outlets and stuff, we're just trying to keep up with that. Okay. So, I mean, it's no secret that accounting professionals, they get bombarded daily with client communications, rules and regs, CPE right. information, industry events. You know, what is what does a successful content model look like today? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think there's there's no single model. The main thing is just to be wherever your audience is, you know, whatever they want to, however they want to get information. Like you said there's a ridiculous amount of information out there of all kinds, you know, from, from the technical stuff, uh, you know, the latest rules and regs to very, you know, much, much uh, more touchy sort of stuff. You know, how do you, how do you uh, recruit and retain staff and how do you build soft skills? There's, there's all kinds of te technological information, all that different stuff. You really want to be able to get it to your audience, how they want to get it. If they like podcasts, give them podcasts. If they like video, give them video. If they like short articles, give them short articles, whatever the case may be, uh, you got to find ways to take what in many cases is the same information and set it out in whatever way works best for them. And the same is true for, uh, uh, you know, for accountants that are doing this, you mentioned you know, content is king and everybody has become a content producer, uh, which is one of the reasons why we have so much information out there. And you need to make sure that you're delivering it exactly the way uh, your audience wants it, whether for us, it's it's the accountants in public practice we're trying to reach, or for an accounting firm or everybody, anybody else in professional services, you're trying to reach your clients. You want to find uh, the ways that work best for them. And often, like I said, that means pursuing a bunch of different content models. Uh, like I said, you know, it can be from audio to video to uh, text to whatever the case may be, live events, however it takes to get that information, that's what content model looks like. And it changes fairly regularly. So you need to stay on top of new ways to get information out there, new ways that your audience is is looking at it, uh, new ways that they're trying to consume that sort of information. So it really is, It's uh, I keep talking about keeping up, just keeping abreast of what your, where your audience is, what they want, uh, and how they want to consume it. And just staying there, staying at the forefront of that is, is what the success model looks like. I can't tell you what the individual elements of it are, because it really depends on the audience and, and the moment in time. Sure. Now, we definitely live in, in a Twitter world where, you know, people have tend to have shorter attention spans. <laughs> 
Um, so hence there's, you know, there's a preference for shorter content, but do you, do you still find a place for long form content, you know, long form articles, studies, white papers, and so on? Right. You know, to a certain extent, uh, I, I wonder, uh, how much of an appetite for that there ever was, uh, you know, I think it begs the question of do people used to have an, uh, an appetite for long, long form content. Um, I think to a certain extent, um, that was driven by the fact that the people who produce long form content are the people who really like it. So journalists really love to write uh, a 5,000, 10,000 word story. They love to read one that's really well written and really well put together. Uh, and the people who can put together a great white paper that analyzes some important issue, they're exactly the kind of people who want to read that sort of thing. Um, and for a long time, I think they sort of said, well, this is what everybody should be reading. So everybody loves this kind of thing. But we didn't really, weren't really able to measure engagement with different forms of um, editorial for a long time. We didn't have the tools we have now that allow us to, to look at and go, say, wow, people really don't like, or a lot of people aren't reading these long articles. They're going for more of the short stuff. They're going for the slideshows, the short video, short audio pieces. I'm not sure that that's a change. I think we just started to measure people's consumption of all that. Um, so, so I will say that it seems like there's less of an appetite for it. Not a diminished, not, you know, not not no appetite, but less of an appetite. But I'm not sure if that's really less or just we finally started to, to measure it and realize that all along, there's only been a, a select group of people who really appreciated that sort of stuff. That said, I do think there is an appetite for longer form stuff. It's just not as big as uh, as we might hope it would be. Now, uh, another element of the of the zeitgeist, I would say, is this era of fake news. Do you think this translates to professional publications? I mean, it's obviously in the consumer realm now, but are are readers of professional and industry publications more skeptical of what they're reading today? I, I don't think they are. Uh, I think some of that fake news, fortunately for for people in trade, you know, in uh, trade publications like ours, uh, I don't think a lot of that. Uh, the fake news, like I said, like I said, has translated as much for us um, in the sense of, you know, the fake news is really look at it at a, at a at an article or, or whatever it may be, whether it's print or, or audio or video, whatever it is, and say, well, if it doesn't agree with what I say, it's fake. If it doesn't agree with what I believe, then it's fake on both sides of, of, of the aisle. Um, I don't think that has translated to um, trade publications very much. There's a little bit of it, but... Um, not very much. And I think that's, it's interesting because you talk about skeptical uh, and that's, it's really ideally people should always be skeptical, skeptical of anything, read. you know, whether it's trade publication or a mainstream publication, you would, people would approach literally anything a little bit, typically think about it, say, where's the sources? What's the other side? Is there another side? Who are they talking to? Do they have any kind of agenda? That sort of thing. You would hope that people be a little bit skeptical. And I would say covering accounting, we're pretty lucky in that our audience has, has sort of always been a little skeptical. Uh, you know, accountants are, are, are trained to look to look a little bit askance at stuff. They, I'm going to prove this. I want to, want to know for sure that this is a real thing. And they're not afraid to, to tell us about it. So we always sort of felt like our audience was, I don't want to say skeptical of us, so they are skeptical of everything. Uh, you know, it's a proper sort of um, a, approach for an accountant or an auditor to have to say, you know, where's this information coming from? What does it mean? And, and to look at it a little askance. They are, have not, however, adopted that sort of, you know, uh, black and white yes or no. If it agrees with me, it's true. If it doesn't agree with what I think, then it's absolutely fake. We haven't seen that, fortunately, fingers crossed and knock on wood. Um, what we have seen, though, is a continued sort of skepticism of audience about everything, uh, you know, an appropriate, healthy sort of professional skepticism. And it's that helps us a lot, I think, to a certain extent. It keeps us uh, dishonest and keeps us on our toes. Mm-hmm. P- particularly for an audience that's very quantitatively based 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, they, if you prove it, then prove it with numbers. If you have, you know, if you have them bring them out. if you don't, and you should, you know, if you should have numbers, if there are numbers available and you don't present them, then they're definitely like, why don't you have them? Why aren't you showing it? So it's great. I mean, and we've, I, I like to think that we've, uh, you know, taken on that lesson and, and uh, it's made us a better publication, you know, so we appreciate it when, when audience looks at it that way, uh, you know, approaches us, like I said, with that sort of healthy skepticism, what, what we're like to see and haven't yet really, uh, is like I said, that sort of fake news, um, uh, attitude that's, that's sort of taken over consumer publications a lot. Right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's turn our attention to social media. Now it, it's had some challenges lately, uh, most notably in the area of privacy concerns, do you see one platform that's positioned to break away from the pack? You know, are we going to see some big names today be the MySpace <laughs> of tomorrow? Um, MySpace. I love MySpace. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I, I haven't seen anything myself that makes me go, oh, wow, that's the next, the next big thing or the, you know, the, the next platform everyone's going to be on. We hear, interestingly, we hear a lot about LinkedIn. Uh, I don't really think of LinkedIn as a social media platform. But it is really in, in its way. We're seeing particularly for professional communication of one kind or another, uh, a lot a lot of potential there. Yes, it hasn't really yet reached its, um, uh, uh, you know, any kind of peak, but it, we're definitely seeing a lot of movement that way. In a way, we don't see a lot of uh, tremendous engagement through Twitter. We don't see a lot of tremendous engagement through Facebook. We see some, not you know, negligible, but it's it's not enough that you go, wow, that's a real superstar place to be for. And again, I'm speaking strictly from a sort of professional publication or professional business point of view as opposed to a more consumer-oriented one. Um, But we are seeing a lot more out of LinkedIn. And it's interesting, and just specifically for accounts, you know, there is an enormous community of accountants on LinkedIn. I know the numbers have changed since we uh, looked deeply a couple of years ago, but but accounting was definitely one of what they considered a sort of super community within the the LinkedIn space. There were a huge number of accountants, way more accountants, a disproportionate number of accountants uh, compared to some other professions. So that's a a particularly great place if you want to reach accountants or talk to accountants or network other accountants. Um, And we're seeing a lot more people become more savvy and how to use LinkedIn in terms of promoting both themselves and their uh, and their um, their firms and their practices or whatever the case may be. So I mean, you know, I wouldn't call it it's not a breakout star, but it's definitely I think it's got more potential for uh, business and, and professional purposes uh, than than a lot of others. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I'm I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I, I think there's a, there's a lot that can be done there. They're getting better at it. You know, LinkedIn is getting better at figuring out ways to help users use it better. Uh, and, uh, you know, to promote it better. And people are getting better at using it. So sorry, I was going to throw that Well, I, I think they're starting to, if I'm not mistaken, bringing content people, more content and editorial people yep. on board. Um, so, yeah, so that'll definitely help. Well, let's let's turn to your publication for a second, Accounting Today. I read you you did a, a, big, a big spread on cannabis. And I'm just wondering, do you guys think that this is the real deal or, or is it the Bitcoin of 2019? <laughs> Hmm. Oh, that's that's a strong statement. Bitcoin, compare anything to Bitcoin. Um, no, I, I think it is the real deal. I, you know, it's a question of how big of a real deal is it. It's a, you know, we're looking across a, reporting that story was great, but it, beyond that, you just there's much more of an appetite for legalization across the country in parts of the country that you would never expect to see uh, an openness to to legalization. Um, when you think of all the states that don't have it yet, uh, as they approach legalization, and I think we'll see over the next you know, four to five years, maybe, uh, reach point where the entire country is legalized. Each one of them adds an enormous new market. Um, and particularly for accountants, that's, 
a huge opportunity because the, the tax implications and the business implications are, are so complex, uh, or the situation is so complex, uh, that they really do need tremendous need for uh, accounting services. So I think it's going to grow. I think you reach a point where you have to say, how big will it actually be once it's fully legalized uh, across the country? How big of an opportunity is that? How big is that market? It's difficult to tell because so much of the current market is illegal and, and, and somewhat immeasurable. Um, but I, I can't imagine it not being a a tremendous uh, opportunity for for uh, businesses, you know, just broadly business speaking, businesses to get involved with it, but also for accountants to get involved with it. The interesting thing about it, the thing I thought was most, uh, that I took away most from the article, apart from the, the sort of general trend towards broader um, uh, legalization, was the, the the huge sort of infrastructure, the ecosystem that gets built out around uh, the industry. You think of it as sort of, oh, well, it's, you know, it's dispensaries and uh, and edibles, maybe, and growers, and that's it. But then there's just a huge supply chain of people involved uh, from lights to real estate to transportation to all these different other ancillary businesses that spring up or that allow other you know, previously established businesses to grow by providing services to, to cannabis. cannabis. Like I said, it's tremendous. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. I don't know how big it is in terms of actual numbers. Like I said, it's difficult to figure that out. Um, in the end, I think it's a it's an area that everybody should be looking at. Accountants should be looking at it. It's going to be a tremendous investment opportunity for a lot of people. Um, you know, is it the same thing as saying, you know, client accounting services? You know, if you're an accountant, if you're looking at tremendous niches to be in, you know, everybody has accounting. Getting into client accounting services, you know, may in the end be a larger opportunity for accounting firms. Similarly, you know, getting into uh, cybersecurity, IT services, those may be larger, broad scale opportunities for accountants. Uh, but I think the cannabis market is definitely a big industry and it's going to be one that a lot of accountants are going to want to look at. Yeah, I think it's going to be completely different, let's say, two years from today than it is um, yeah. the, just the landscape and and the commerce that's behind it. But uh, it should be interesting. Yeah. To see. Well, it's one interesting thing. I mean, you're right about that, the change that's coming. And it's a particularly, if you want to get into it, if an account firm wants to get involved with it, you know, earlier is better, right? Get involved uh, earlier and be on top of those changes to be uh, be in the ground floor. Yeah. So, so as an editor, there's always that, you know, that rush when you, when you get a good subject to interview that, you know, you're, you, you get a good get in, in the business. <laughs> so who, who right. was your, who was your best get, you know, your most memorable interview? Um, you know, it's interesting. We had a, uh, we got, and I'm not sure, not, still not sure exactly how we managed this, um, but we got an hour or so with uh, the then commissioner of the IRS, John Koskinen. And this was the height of uh, the um, uh, Congress was coming after him for there were some uh, the problems with the certain offices of the IRS had been uh, uh, targeting or, or seemed to have been targeting conservative groups. So there was a lot of fire being directed at the IRS, and and I, clearly they wanted to get their word out. But it was it was pretty impressive. So the IRS commissioner doesn't often do a lot of press, uh, or at least certainly not not trade press. So sure. that he was willing to give us an hour was uh, was really tremendous. And, and the insights just from from talking to somebody who's got that level of experience is really tremendous. So that was that was great. We've had the interesting thing though is one of the things I love about covering the accounting profession is that accountants just sort of almost everybody you talk to in accounting is super passionate about the business, super passionate about what they do, um, and so they're all sort of exciting. I mean that was a that was a particularly special one for us just because you mm -hmm. know at, at that time he was you know even harder an even harder get sure. than normally. Normally it would be. Very difficult time with the IRS commissioner. He couldn't possibly want to talk to us. He's you know busy fighting Congress, um, but he gave us an hour and, and, and really opened up, and it was great. 
Nice, nice. Well, Dan, I enjoyed our time together, and I, I thank you for your expertise and your insight. Well, Dave, thanks, Rob. And thank you for listening to Eisner Amper's podcast series. Visit EisnerAmper.com for more information on this and a host of other topics. And join us for our next Eisner Amper podcast when we get down to business.